0: the metronome was switched on. I am over it. Why am I over it? I'm in such a bad mood suddenly.
1: Maybe I'm just... Tired. I'm the one who had fucking <laughs> like electrolysis on my face for an hour and a half today. Recovering from a local anaesthetic. Yeah. I... Do I look swollen? You yeah, don't. Yeah, I do. Uh,
0: there was a dialogue. No, you just look plump. <laughs>
1: Thank like you. Like if you use
0: that collagen boosting lip gloss.
1: Yeah. Well, actually, this what this is... Uh, what this experience has taught me is that it is the correct and good impulse to get lip fillers even though i already have kind of big lips um because i thought that it would look over the top but having uh seen through um uh through like what i've gone through today actually like more is more when it comes to lips for me okay i just i just don't want to look like one of those american drag queens that have like where, you know, they, they call it, like, bee-stung lips But they actually do just look like they've been stung by bees <laughs> like, like, and, like, not bees with, like, particularly good, like, uh, aim Yeah So it's like, there's no, like, surgical precision or anything They just got stung on the face by bees And then they're like, great And then they put, even with drag makeup on top of it They just look bad
0: Yeah, my face has got wonkier as I've grown older And I think lots of people do
1: like... Oh, absolutely. I'm not talking about... I'm just talking about how their fillers are done. I know, but it's like I when think... you have
0: fillers on top of a wonky face and that aren't particularly oh. done, it's it's
1: like... Whoa. I feel... Yeah, I have a pretty wonky face as well. But you know There's nothing like doing drag makeup to teach you how wonky your face is. <laughs> um, like, because there's so many irregularities on my face that I didn't realise until... Um... Uh, until I was doing makeup on it, like, I wondered why I could never get my nose to look quite right, and then I realised my nose isn't quite right. (laughs) Yeah,
0: yeah. no, Yeah, I just, like, no, I find that my face looks much wonkier out of drag, because what I do is that I I have... I can't remember the last time that I sat down and calmly did my makeup with enough time for something I needed to do, or, like, enjoyed it, or, like, even had the right products uh, as well, and... But what I have found is that uh, I can... And also just that then I'm not even sure that's something that particularly interests me anymore. Whereas I can do a really, really, really good drag face in about 40 minutes. But uh, what... like, And you, you can look really good in 40 minutes, but you cannot look good and symmetrical in 40 minutes. It's like absolutely the thing. You, something has to go to get it done. And so you just always have to look at a people at a certain angle and then you're fine.
1: Well, I feel like... Like, in general, looking symmetrical in drag, like, what's the point? Like, unless you're, like, hungry when it's, like, okay, yeah, like, something that, like, she's always complaining about how she can't get her stuff symmetrical. I'm, like, I don't think my eyes are as talented as yours. Well, actually, no one's eyes. No one's as good at checking out someone else's flaws as that person themselves. But, like, I always think her stuff looks flawless. But, like, unless you're doing something, like, hungry, like... Why aim for symmetry? It's just an unnecessary bother.
0: Yeah, the great thing about hungry, and especially hungry, (laughs) especially hungry is complaining, is it just shows you no matter how good you get, unless you feel good about what you're doing, you're not going to feel good about it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so it's like I can cut out the middleman. I don't have to become talented at makeup. I just like work on work on that baseline level of satisfaction with whatever's in front of me. Yeah, I'll I'll feel like I'm better at makeup than hungry. (laughs)
0: Ooh, isn't delusion a wonderful playground?
1: Oh, absolutely. I feel like, (sighs) because it's like, I've been complaining about this with uh, conspiracy theorists, um, especially conspiracy theorists that, like, you know, I come into contact with, that it's like, I try really hard to develop... uh, That's a weird way of saying it, but I try really hard to be smart, right? Like, as in, not that I try really hard to, to, to display like intelligence but rather i spend a lot of time reading like a lot mm. and then i'm i'm really sort of like i apply a lot of energy to this um i give a lot of my life away in in order to sort of like develop like knowledge in a particular field and so it's just so fucking annoying this like uh, like with this, this conspiracy theorist, like there these really arrogant conspiracy theorists who will like talk down to you. I was, I was having an Internet discussion <laughs> with someone like who was like they were just like spouting some stupid bullshit. And then I was just I was really calm. And I was, I'm really working on this as well because I'm really enjoying online debates uh, that don't get mean at yeah. the moment. And then I like I answered some of their points and then and and, like asked them a question. And they said, do you really believe that coronavirus is the most deadly virus that's ever existed? And it's like, you stupid piece of shit. Like, Mm -hmm. you don't talk to me with that tone. You fucking idiot. (laughs) And it's like, what? Did you say this to them? No, I replied where have I given any indication that I think that that is the case. But you're saying Obviously, it now. I don't think that's the case. <laughs> but it's just like so it's much much less to do with what we were talking about than the fact that it's just like when it comes to like feeling intellectually superior <laughs> like like it's like they've done like What I've done with makeup, they've done with thinking. (laughs) It's not important that you develop a skill and become excellent at it, like hungry with makeup or, oh, well, I guess, or me with thinking. (laughs) But like, it's much more important how you feel about yourself. So it doesn't matter if you're the stupidest person in the room. As long as you feel like you're smarter than everyone else, you too can be a coronavirus denier. That was a really... Like, roundabout way of accidentally calling myself a genius on this podcast. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) I mean, if we're going to go with relative, I mean, you know, also as well, though, at the same time. I mean, uh, I'm just trying to have to say, think of a way to say something that you won't have to cut it out later. Uh, hee 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 hee. When you're comparing yourself <laughs> to a, uh, a coronavirus denier, it's not particularly difficult now to be a genius. It's sort of like comparing yourself to a fish oh, when it comes yeah. to climbing a tree. Uh, <laughs> it's
1: true. It's true. Isn't it but so like,
0: great how I did that without mentioning anyone with special needs? I mean, come on. I... <laughs> oh,
1: that, yeah, yeah, that is true. That's true. Very well done. Uh, like nimbly avoided ableism Well done <laughs> <laughs> Oh
0: if yeah, The irony being The irony being <laughs> The irony being I'm pinned down by it Every single day of my life And it absolutely makes things Completely unlivable at certain moments Ta-da ableism
1: ah, Aren't these things a pain in the ass you're right oozing gloop and that brings us to our topic for today But before we do the big reveal, yep. like the, the gag of the season, sis mm. um, uh, <clears throat> We should introduce ourselves <laughs> I am queen of the heavens and of the earth, empress of despair, architect of your eternal suffering, Olympia Bukakis And I'm sis, oozing gloop <laughs> <laughs> And today's topic
0: is... pain, Pain Pain Pain, pain. Oh, wait. On our podca-
1: pod- oh, podcast? Our a podcast. Our a podcast. <laughs> we should do like a... We could do... Oh, my God. I, I'm ch- doing one of your really bad puns, but we should do an episode on potatoes and call it a spud podcast. Pu- <laughs> I'm down for that. I'm down but for is, that. It, is it a spud in the UK as well? It's a spud in the UK. Yep, cartoffle right. in
0: Berlin. Or, alternately, your partner.
1: <laughs> right? Right?
0: Fucking giant right. potatoes. Uh, oh, one time we met this. We were in a, uh, in a Bay for Gay one time with this, like, really beautiful, uh, like... Your pronunciation
1: of b fal is so good, by the way. <laughs> Bay, Bay, Bay. for Gay. It sounds for like gay, gay like, for pay. Like gay for pay. For those who don't know, b is the, it's the, like, the, uh, the, the company that owns public transport, uh, owns um, the Uban. In, in Berlin Go on Yeah
0: yeah Gay for pay Is a great
1: porno category uh, <laughs> I just I mean, Except for when like You know there's a moment Where like 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 It's like Oh I think this guy Actually is straight And then like The other person's dick Goes inside him And he's like Action! And yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. That is turns around. It's just like full face of drag makeup, Las yes. Vegas
0: sugar. <laughs> and see, that's my favorite. That's my favorite. What I love is that the problem is, is when you look at these gay for pay things, and then they're actually people who are straight who are like, need I'm like, Oh God, this is like disgusting. Like, what? It's I, really violent. It's really it's violent. awful. No, no, no. no. Yeah. I love, I love the gay for pay where they're obviously massive baggers but they're like you know, fronting. <laughs>
1: yes, like, it's like so, with a shell necklace. Yeah, with the other.
0: <laughs> like, yeah, 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 yeah. Bait bus is a yeah. really good one because I checked it because they actually get loads of really... they. It's, uh, I checked it out basically like it, it gay for pay stuff or this bait bus thing where it's like you blindfold someone and then have like... A, like seduce them with a girl, blindfold them and then get a guy to like suck them off or something and then reveal it to be a guy. is completely illegal. So if you were to make... Well, it's, it's, it's rape. <laughs> it's just... <Yeah>. It's just... <laughs> it's disgusting on many levels. However, yeah. like the... Um, the way that they certain porn companies managed to like produce the fantasy itself. <laughs> sublime. It's so, sublime.
1: It's, it's 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 so funny. But, yeah, I love to imagine, like, all of the different really... Like, like, like cause there's always a moment. Like, some of them can act, and so they walk in, and they're just like, what's your name? Just like, I don't know, like, He-Man Destroyer of Pussies or something. And then, and then like, at a certain point, he just starts looking more and more like a person who's really into arranging lamps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's really good. And I think... But it's like, that's the only thing that could, like... It's like, ironically, that's the only thing that could ever save that porn genre because, like, if like, if it starts to look like something where it's just like, this is actually like a person like forced through financial desperation to engage in an act that they have no desire towards whatsoever, then like, um, no, obviously that's like that's... this is
0: completely awful. But yeah, but then I think what it does is it taps into like the perverse fantasy that like the uh, like many of us ha- had have had at various points, which is like this like straight per- like straight that there's this the straight person you fancy or like maybe that you fancied at high school or something like that is somehow like secretly gay and doesn't know but doesn't is like yet to know it or something you know and then like mm. that this will like unlock it for like the- and this uh, unlocks it and i think that it's also that um that that's something that like because porn porn fundamentally is fantasy and it's and fantasy is also that within the space of fantasy is then the space to be like really kind of like erotic or something like there's completely I I I many other people I'm sure have got like sex fantasies that if they were to actually happen to you would just be the, absolutely the worst thing you can like uh, ever but they like uh, have this sort of mystical quality by rote of being a fantasy.
1: Yeah, but I think I, I think I think you're totally right. And it's interesting in particular with porn because porn like uh like all fantasies is uh something that is produced and like most things is something that is produced by workers mm. so uh like like by workers in the porn industry like sex workers or or, or like uh porn actors um <clears throat> and like there is there like it's like this very complex interplay of fantasy in this particular genre. Because Mm. I think one thing, like, I I, I know not everyone has this, but in order to find something like that desirable, then I need this wink and a nudge of the fact that it's like, this person is like the gayest person that has ever existed. (laughs) But, and and then, like, then that's something that allows that. But I know that, like, I'm not just, (laughs) I know that's not necessarily the case for everyone and I'm not, uh, I'm not virtue signaling there. (laughs) But like, um... It is interesting that sort of like it's also you can kind of tell when something has been produced in conditions that are like uh like humane or decent for the people who are uh, who are, who are like working and producing that fantasy. Yeah,
0: but there's wait there's two different things there. There's the idea of the the pay thing and the wink and the nudge and then there's the idea of like good conditions. Now for, the thing is right that for the wink and the all the wink and the nudge you need to no. know is you need to have, having experienced anal sex at any point in your life, you will know as to whether or not someone who is there having anal has had that before or not. That is mm. basically the situation. And then also, <laughs> like, the wink is the butthole of the nudging dick that just slips straight <laughs> inside it. It's like, oh, I've never done this before. <laughs> like, it's just like, like that's, that's completely enough. us. then also as well, the other thing is, is that because also if it's someone's... Uh, and when it is someone's first time it's just not very sexy and it's just a bit like uh and that's obviously but um what's also great about uh about sex workers working conditions or like workers the workers production of fantasy is that there's a certain kind of like sex workers attitude that you get from from people who've been working in this sort of industry for like a long time and i think it's where they also they see and do many things that are beyond the most people's imagination of like sex and they become very desensitized to it. So then when they do have the chance to sort of play and stuff, it reveals a really perverse, uh a really perverse side. And um uh I really enjoyed this because I was watching a Batman and Robin themed uh porno <laughs> where there was like it was just shot there's like a staircase and there was some like uh like and then the villain had like was some dude in high heels, like naturally. Uh, which is the first time I think I was like, dude and I Niall in like a normative gay porn. And they were like, mm. uh, but it was so funny. It was like, uh, uh, this guy was threatening to steal all the hookers in Gotham unless he watched Batman fuck Robin. And then Batman was like, there's just nothing we can do, Robin. We've got to do it. And then Robin was like, oh, geez, Batman. <laughs> and, then like it, and then they <laughs> fucked. It was great. <laughs> in the really classic, really cheap spandexy costumes. Amazing. It was really
1: funny. I, yeah, you know, yeah. Um, I was thinking. Oh, I just blanked. You know why I blanked though? Yeah. I blanked because I I am in a lot of pain right now. Mm. I I have had. Oh, but you know, no. I was thinking. I was uh, you. Um, my mind is jumping around a lot because I'm in quite a bit of pain. But um, you reminded me of this. It's this fantasy because a lot of the time, I think I speak like from like. Uh, like a faggot perspective. Mm-hmm. I think I speak from a faggot perspective. You that, like... from a faggot perspective, which surely one lists from a faggot perspective. Well, I can't because my mouth is so swollen. <clears throat> I'm not sure how that works, but um, uh, like a lot of the time, people's first crush was on a friend or something who was often straight, and then we. But and it's also like this thing that it's like if homosexuality is this thing that is like you know this uh it's like this like evil miasmic presence uh like but then when you feel homosexual desire in yourself then you're like oh my god like if despite having already knowing that you shouldn't then you're like oh so it's it's out there as this like bad thing when people say that's so gay or whatever they're referring Mm to this this like like Limp, interested poltergeist. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> but then when you feel it in yourself, it feels so uh, like real and present um, and pleasant as well. Mm. Um, that um, like it's very easy to just assume that's like oh everyone feels this, and I still for I still get this as well sometimes where I'm like oh some people aren't gay or like actually most people aren't gay, but like I just kind of like <laughs> universalize that experience because it's like because it's so real for me that I went along with it. Despite how much harder it made my life, Um, especially Mm. my early life, also kind of my later life. Um, So um, I think I understand this sort of suspicion. I think this porn sort of like relates back to this idea, this paranoid idea that we have that it's like if we became gay, despite all of the stuff that we lost because of that, then it must be the case that everyone is secretly gay that
0: every yeah and the world's secretly gay kind of thing and i think as well that also as well which it is well, yeah, but yeah it's also as well that obviously <laughs> that this this the porn and the pleasure and the hypersexualization of queer like queerness is hypersexualized obviously like like homosexual you can't even mention hom- like you know this homosexuality etc and then also as well because it's one of these things where it was just like right you have persecuted queer people eliminated queer people from uh public life from like uh, dominant narrative. Uh, we've eliminated queer people from, uh, holding, uh, out positions. It's also very interesting to note that when queer people were in the closet, people like Freddie Mercury or, like, George Michael could become, like, superstars, and now that queer people can be out of the closet, uh, we don't actually have any- queer people still- it, like, uh, like, coming out is still, uh, career suicide, basically. In many contexts, and that's for other people to- there's other papers to explain this, it's just simply- it is- this is the case still and um and so but also in a big way a lot of this is the the resolution of this is just to fuck like a rabbit and then also this is as well like and then to engage in this pleasure and that's basically to reconcile one with the pain of being queer in the straight world
1: mm-hmm. there's a this book called uh, Towards a Gay Communism mm-hmm. by Mario Mielli uh, it's in it, it's, a, it, it's originally Italian and I think it's like notes on a homosexual critique is the Italian uh, name, But like obviously with an Italian accent mm-hmm. um, So uh, and it's it, there's, there's a chapter in it on s- heterosexual men And the chapter is called Heterosexual men or closet queens <laughs> <laughs> And like part of his revolutionary program Because he's marrying like Marx and Freud And like a bunch of other stuff um, <clears throat> It's really cool A gay marriage and, I can get behind <laughs> uh, That would have been Oh no Do you know Marx was like really boozy but Freud was really into coke right whatever Marx and Engels would have got married if that was gonna happen you know what I mean like so no but I just mean like if they hung out like then that would have been like those really, really intense cokey um, like, nights at the pub where, like, no one will shut up. And, no, and like, you know, artists on Coke is the worst thing in the world. I have a friend who is an artist, um, and she was like, I just think I'm amazing on Coke. I just have all these interesting ideas and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, that's the key word is that you think that you're amazing on Coke. No artist should be allowed to take Coke because it requires, to be a professional artist, requires such a strong, like, driven ego that you... Don't don't need to add coke to that. You just don't, <laughs> like myself included. It's just like, like talking. Like you, whenever you realize you're taking coke and you realize that you're talking about work and you're an artist, you should absolutely stop talking.
0: <laughs> <laughs> or maybe taking coke would make me a more ego-driven artist, so I'd have stronger boundaries with my work. Okay, cool. Great research. Uh,
1: <laughs> okay, so you just said Coke would help you have stronger boundaries. <laughs> what boundaries do, are you missing that you think
0: Coke would cut you Let's not get into that because my, so you're, you're, you're in pain, which I'm... Uh, uh, you're in pain right now from your laser treatment, which uh, we should really be talking about. But I'm currently very uncomfortable because of my resentments process that I'm going through with Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, which is just kind of like... It just, uh, oh, it's kind of death by a thousand cuts, but it's sort of like necessary where it's basically acknowledging that I don't have the emotional maturity required to be able to like regulate my own response to, uh, narcotics and, uh, intoxicating, uh, substances and, uh, uh, evidenced by the fact that I'm, uh, in Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, so it's just kind of a process that you have to go through. It's also that it was quite interesting that someone in, one of the things recently was just sort of talking about the fact that if you just drink through all of your difficult situations, then it prevents you from going through the emotional maturity that those situations would entail. And so it's also, this is why it doesn't matter if it's drinking or if it's drugs or if it's various, you know, various other things, stuff like that. If you are escaping a difficult situation through doing something else uh, in some way, then you will not Uh, go through the emotional maturation process which itself is painful in many ways and it's a process of sacrifice and where you have to sacrifice certain things about yourself to be able to maintain uh, a life or lifestyle that is something comfortable for you within uh, the system of capital accumulation within
1: which we live. I think that sounds like a really wise and important (laughs) realisation. What I would add, though, is that, like, the difference between you and people who aren't in uh, Alcoholics Anonymous is not that you have lacked the emotional maturity to deal with, uh, like, drugs and alcohol, but rather you have decided to take the step to deal with your relationship with drugs and alcohol. Like, because when I was sober for, like, I've been sober on and off for a really long time. I'm definitely not sober anymore. Um, And loving it for now actually um but um like I'm sure that I will have plenty more sober periods in my life um because I find them really grounding but when I went through a really intense one in 2019 um it felt like I was the only person in the world that couldn't like that couldn't just have like this carefree easy relationship with like substances or whatever Mm -hmm. uh and that I had to like really because I was going through a tough time and I had to really sort of regulate myself all the time but then, like a lot of the time, a, a lot of the like, or without with almost without exception, the person that you look at and think, oh wow, they like, because we live in Berlin, right? So mm. this is a special situation. But <clears throat> the person that you look at, thinking, wow, this person parties all the time, and they have their stuff so together, and they're so happy, and and like, and they they're, they're responsible and controlled enough to really like look after themselves without fail every single time within a couple of years, that person is having some serious shit going on. Mm-hmm. Like, they're just like, there isn't a person who can, um, who can like live in this party world in Berlin at full speed for longer than a couple of years.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: like the decision that you make, this is a very intimate conversation now, <laughs> yeah. but the decision that you make to look at that uh, and to try and deal with that, it, that the difference between you and your environment is not, that you have this unique weakness, but rather you've decided to actually look at what's going on. Mm. Thank you, Olympia.
0: <laughs> love you. Oh, I love you too. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, it's like it's good cool step for an Alcoholics Anonymous. and then like I did it already, and then you go to step five where you talk with you talk it all through with someone, and then right at the end they're just like it just asks you like are you sure you did everything and then I kind of look back and I was like Uh, I have some other skeletons in my closet and stuff and it's just kind of like very uh you know it's very interesting uh it's just yeah no it's very it's very it's very interesting to think about this in terms of other things but it's also as well there's just some there's just it's a hard program ultimately like it's got yeah. better points it's got easier points but it's it's got easier points and harder points uh but it's also as well like um and then it's also quite difficult because you have to like uh you have to just keep consistently reorientating yourself within it I guess but that's also what you kind of have to do with the practice of living
1: uh anyway as well I wanted I wanted to talk because this made me think actually uh <clears throat> that um what you were talking about how like it's the pain of certain experiences that you actually then can learn and gain maturity from Mm. um this reminds me of like because like as we've like alluded to a couple of times i'm doing electrolysis which is where um they put a needle in every hair follicle i'm getting it done on my face to permanently remove my facial hair and it's like they put a needle in every follicle and then run an electric current uh that uses the the water in that follicle to create like, I don't know. It basically, it kills the brute and then they pull it out mm. and it fucking hurts and they do it for every hair. And it's like, you could do your entire face, uh, which would take, uh, you know, depending on how much hair you have, like, like more time than you could do in one go, but you would still need to do it at least six times more. So, um, it's like, it's very, I've been doing it for years and, uh, it's very painful, but I don't have a five o'clock shadow anymore, which is really nice. Um, <laughs> and uh but like it's it's this really strange thing because it hurts so much that often the process is like 5 minutes in you're like okay do I actually want to be doing this and it's like of course I've always hated my facial hair like when it, I remember when my mum gave me a razor and some shaving cream when I was a child um I started crying because I was so like embarrassed and didn't want to deal with this mm. um Uh, Even though it's like a very sweet And responsible gesture on her behalf Um, And so like But it's just like it like really really hurts But then it's always balancing Like is this thing that I like That I like uh, And that I will get something out of uh, Worth this pain And then I think Do you think it usually hangs on how bad the pain is? Uh, No I think
0: it depends on What is happening Within like your wider constellation Of things because also something I've been thinking about a lot with with this process of uh, um, emotional maturity and what we what we go for in these sorts of things is that uh, that typically speaking and I disagree with this but typically speaking emotionally uh, but I still there are certain ways I do agree with it which is say emotionally mature people accept that there is nothing that they can do about capitalism and so it's kind of like but then at the same time as well that also this comes from a certain perspective it comes from this very from a perspective inherent within our culture that
1: <clears throat> when you're young you'll be revolutionary and when you're old you'll be conservative oh. and this is yeah they say if you don't have a heart if you don't, if you're not a socialist when you're young you don't have a heart and if you're still a socialist when you're old you don't have a head. Yeah, this kind of bullshit, basically. And, and my history teacher told me that. He said, except the second part's not true. <laughs> <laughs> it was great.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Yeah, it basically it's one of these things which I understand it as well where it's just like, I'm sure you do as well. It's like, you know, like uh, we've both shown Thirsty and it's just like, ooh, I want to have like nice skincare. I want to have these like nice objects. I want to have like a nice comfortable life. I want to do these things. Is Are these other things that I could be doing uh, worth it if they they endanger these these my nice objects and my nice things and my nice clothes and stuff like that whereas like when you're younger you're just like uh fine with the idea of like running around and being crazy well you know, I, I'm uh, I'm not really making
1: much sense I think you know what I mean I think I know what you mean but I think that's a very specifically uh it's a specific Kind of anti-capitalist politics because uh, me liking uh, no yeah, yeah, yeah uh, but... scented moisturisers and stuff is very much China no but what I mean my socialism. Socialism. No, no no I
0: don't mean I know it's like that that is like it's also that like as you know as one. It's very, it would be very, it's very easy then within these things to think like, oh, I've got my nice things. I've done like this and I've that. And I've had to, you know, if you are mm-hmm. say working, for example, a nine to five as well. And that you do this and you work towards these things and you sort of achieve these things. And it's like you have to go through this, this fight, vi- basically this violence of working this regular time. And also like, you know, when it's also that, um, that in the sphere you have to pay for university. And also home ownership is really pushed because debt encumbered workers don't go on strike. And so it's the idea of, there's actually a book I really want to read, I mentioned it before in this podcast, but I've got the, I'm going to buy it soon, it's called Debt the First 5,000 Years. And it's about how money, and it basically, it's an anthropological perspective on uh, economics, and it says that actually that we consider economics And the state to be two separate spheres but they emerge together and that basically the long and the short of it is this person argues that we should be writing debt off more frequently and because the Mm -hmm. reality is we do write debt off for large corporations so we don't write debt off for people and actually the debt is a way of keeping it's to do with, with social stability and keeping a social register but it's it's fundamentally punishment and so what's interesting there is that we can actually see debt as part of the military industrial complex as well so which feeds into the patriarchal war state within which we find ourselves still so it's the fact that uh, and that the the anglo the anglo sphere is re- uh, really important on this but, uh, really pushes this it's like you want to because uh i think it's very interesting as well that basically uh that people don't even own their phones anymore and so it's perfectly possible then for people who are very poor to have a very expensive phone but that this puts them then in a situation where they're regularly having to uh ba- basically rent rent an object they don't own anything we uh, don't own much anymore and it's but this uh, idea that debt incumbent workers don't go on strike is also that then it gets people to go into the pain of doing these things to haul themselves out of bed for all of these things having to engage religiously and morally in the process of deferred gratification and that basically uh, to sacrifice the things that they're interested in, sacrifice their hobbies, sacrifice their passions for the sake of their property, and material property. And when you force people to repress their desires, they come to desire repression and then people become conservative in that process and that's Mm -hmm. so it's not you don't become conservative as you grow older as you have more invested in the system you become conservative and this is why you have all these memes coming out now of people saying oh you're going to become conservative when you're older and people are like uh people are like me now i'm older and it's a bog witch in the woods (laughs) which i really enjoy (laughs) because now obviously millennials can't afford to buy houses so they don't get invested in it as well and there's this system where we don't get into these things but i think that it's this this mode of sacrifice like the, the idea of like you become conservative as you become older I think fits in dovetails very neatly with the process of sacrificing certain things to have certain other things as well
1: yeah I think one of the things that's underpinning that is that very often when people talk about like uh they universalize generational stuff or life cycle stuff so it's like this will happen and then you will be really idealistic and then you will give in and blah 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 Um, And it's like, no, you belong to the baby boomer generation. So Mm. your youth was spent in a time of intense radicalism. Mm. Um, And uh, like uh, and also not like that radicalism was like heavily influenced by like so-called third world struggle, like liberation struggle. So it's like all across late 60s and the 70s, like all across the world. Like people in Germany, people like frequently refer to '68 as a year of an attempted revolution. Mm -hmm. So, um, so like, uh, like this—that was a a real world historical event that happened. And then you have this really intense right-wing backlash uh, in the '80s and '90s Mm -hmm. um, that created that fucking intellectual dead zone into which we were intellectually born. Like (laughs) the fucking oh god, it's like it is. like, also now is, like, of course it's very chaotic, but, like, I came of age in 2005. Like, that is such a shit deal. Yeah. Like, I had, to, I had to be born in fucking rural Australia and I came of age in 2005. That's shit. I don't like this hand. I want to be, I want a new deck of cards. I don't yeah, know any yeah, card yeah. games, so, so I can't take that any further. Fucking Craig but, like, David and Bratz dolls. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and fucking, like, denim skirts. Oh. Like... Just terrible. And then also, like, when 10 years later, all of the, like, the 19-year-old, like, arts kids started, like, ironically reappropriating early, like, uh, 2000s fashion, it was just like, shut up. You're such a dickhead. Yeah. Anyway, they, anyway, it's fine. I've forgiven them. Um, it's it's fine. I've forgiven them, forgive them. them. Only <laughs> I because they making you revolutionary. Yeah, because yeah, they turned out to all be hardcore communists. Yeah. But, like... Um, it's like that. It like that. Like this idea that you will be young and radical, and then when you're old, you will be conservative. It's like th- th- there were large chunks of the world, particularly the West, that had interesting uh, like resistances and movements and large scale like mass movements going on. And of course, like the, the fight against um, like the fight for prison abolition, uh, and uh, and also like uh, indigenous uh, self determination in Australia. These like these fights not like they stopped yeah. uh, but like uh, during that time but um, it's like you don't like for us it could well be that like we were like like you know progressive in our youth and then like fighting in a civil war in our old age like, we're, like yeah. we're not necessarily <laughs> heading for like the, the same level of comfort and then this slide into through debt like conservatism as many of like the generation uh that birthed us but mm-hmm. that's because we're like we're in a planet that's like far more unstable than theirs was
0: yeah, yeah 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 well i mentioned it as well like i i i always mention this as well like the i love the the metaphor of the cubicle movie and like joe biden is like mm-hmm. the cubicle and stuff as well and like this process and like francis fukuyama's like notion of like the end of history being like endemic of this this uh this moment there was so many i was so interested in what you were saying i forgot the intelligent thing i was going to say as well and so no <laughs> but that was very interesting
1: um hang yeah. on a second do you ah yeah. because oh, okay i just realized that the fukuyama thing is kind of like a sick uh, anti-marxist burn right because um marx says that history begins with the end of capitalism so this is when human history begins because this is the first point at which humans can can be human, which I feel like it's. I, oh, I love it. Yes, I know totally. That's um, also as well. Like. But then and then Fukuyama says the end of communism is the end of history. Well, it's very right. interesting right now because uh, I've been reading uh,
0: the years as tarot cards for some time since 2016 because the 16th tarot card in the Major Arcana is the card of disaster. And in 2016, Mm -hmm. I did the, an art piece called The Awful Journey, which was about engaging in, because the awful used to mean, it means something now quite mediocre and boring, but it used to mean the opposite of awesome, as in something that was full of, full of awe. Yeah, but like ghastly, something that absolutely terrible. And then also it was very, I think before that it was positive as well. Mm, I think it was, it was more, yeah, but it was, you, you know, it's, you know, the phrase, you know, we use the term great and like, ah, the great and terrible so-and-so kind of thing, Mm -hmm. which is that like, or you could say like the great and terrible Genghis Khan.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: for this this is the context in which awful would have been used but i think that you could definitely use find a way of using the term awful as a way of being complimentary and i think as well that this is also it, is that basically all the all the it's also as well that all the awful things well it's kind of interesting actually because i was writing a piece in 2016 called i'm glad david bowie died uh
1: <laughs> <laughs> i remember yeah uh,
0: everyone got so annoyed with me that i never released it and now it's on an old computer but um i think that I was just watching, uh, I was like, had absolute brain rot. And so I decided to watch brain rot, which is like the South uh, South Park season 20, which is from 2016. And um, they soteriosized the, the American election. And what's really interesting is they made a connection that I was looking at at the time. So I, like, I made these art pieces called like Mastalgia, where I just ripped up everything the Nostalgia Valley and glued it back together to sort of like just think of this idea that we were just like rotting in our own memories and in south park they have these things called uh member berries which is just like these uh little like berries that are like oh do you remember star wars do you remember the millennium falcon and all these like very nostalgic moments because this is when we were having all these reboots and stuff and then the the member berries start slipping in things like do you remember when gay people couldn't get married do you remember when there was this and it's like because all of this nostalgia and we've been stuck consistently with nostalgia with nostalgic of a time prior to this, this intellectual death within which we were born when there was narrative and when there was, there was original culture basically as well. And that we've Mm -hmm. had that consistently rebooted uh, again and again and again. That's the, I think that then the awful, awful year of uh, Donald Trump and uh, Boris Johnson in which Boris Johnson, no Boris Johnson, Brexit emerged as well, which basically were just conservative nostalgic moments and that have been there for the last four years. And that this also the David Bowie dying was this process of and all these celebrities dying and all these stars dying as it were, was this process by which we kind of lost a sort of sense of coordination. And people wanted to become recoordinated within what they knew. And obviously within this this Joe Biden cubicle experience of like stability, obviously racism is just there. And coloniality is just there. And actually this is the disgusting underside by which liberal centrist politics actually works mm-hmm. within these things. And that's why these, this, that's why uh, left-wing radicals that are cited by right-wing people can't, uh, can't even form a coherent ideology uh, beyond cancelling people on Twitter. Yet at the same time, right-wing radicals can actually be elected to the, the highest uh, positions of political authority in the sphere relatively easily. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's kind of interesting with that is that then 21... If, uh, in the Tarot series is the world card and we're in 21 now of course so it's like this and I feel and it's like that we are in I feel that we are in a new world I feel there is a distinctive generational shift away from all the conditions that we were growing up in that seemed like they would just perpetuate themselves forever now do not exist and I think the the most endemic thing of this is the the basic fall of Facebook where people are coming off Facebook, they're not actually engaging in it anymore. And I think there was something about Facebook that just felt like it was going to be there forever and we were going to be on it forever. And there was no way to imagine an alternative beyond that. Whereas now it's basically just died.
1: Yeah. I, like, Facebook sucks shit. I fucking hate Facebook. It's fucking Um, awful. Let's
0: get off. We all need to leave Facebook.
1: Yeah, I also feel... I've also noticed that my engagement is down. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But, like... Uh, I also i think I think that's true, but I think it's also important to note that what Facebook is in different parts of the world varies very much because mm. there are places where Facebook like uh, is used um, in very different ways to, than in sort of like uh, relatively affluent uh, co- like the corners relatively affluent corners of like uh, like the US or, um, mm. or or Europe or Australia or something like that. But um, that uh, they have been, they've done some really sneaky shit um in uh like uh in poorer countries uh where i think that like without some sort of um like organized resistance there's they're going to have a real stranglehold on how the internet works uh but like in terms of in the rich world they're standing it's like it just i also i think also people are getting too much of a short attention span to be able to deal with facebook yeah like, because uh, you notice, like, as this stuff develops, like, the the thing, maybe, maybe this is me, like, you know, old man yells at cloud, yeah, uh, sort of like vibe. But like, as things develop, like, like you had the blog, and then you had the Facebook post, and then you have Instagram, and then you have like, uh, like, tw- like then Twitter as well, mm-hmm. and then you have TikTok, and the the like, things that people are like that, what it, ta- the amount of time that it takes to consume these things gets shorter and shorter and shorter, and this is maybe I'm going full old man yells at cloud. Yeah, but fucking dumber and dumber and dumber. Like people just appear so fucking stupid. And then the only way to sort of like express any sort of um, uh, like uh, nuanced thought is through layers of irony and reference uh, to like the broad collage that makes up our collective imaginary or whatever. And like this is this is of course very sophisticated. Yeah, that like, is the highest of sophistication. Uh, it, I don't think so. I don't I, in think our so. contemporary time, I do, and I think a uh, yeah. Perhaps... But this is in in our contemporary time, and this is the point because I'm talking about our contemporary time. Yeah. I think like like uh, like a meme is all well and good. Um, <laughs> oh my god, I'm definitely I'm definitely playing to the wrong audience here. Yeah, but, but a meme is all well and good, but it cannot replace like 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 meaningful and thought through engagement. Yeah, no, but like, like, like basically,
0: basically Becky Joe. OK, so there is a user called basically Becky Joe on Instagram who has t- uh, basically strung together about 15 or 20 or 30 different TikToks to tell this kind of story. And I'm absolutely addicted. It's like a soap opera. Each post is like a soap opera. And there's this amazing drag queen who is like a, a 2005 chav. Mm-hmm. and it's honestly that it, i believe that this was the old old trans shouting at cloud needs to see this and this is someone who has managed to use many layers of nuance together to create these things but i think it's interesting i think it's also what's very interesting about this if you look at the size of the screen that we're usually engaging with that mm-hmm. we actually have gone from engaging in movie images from cinema screens to tv screens to desktop computers to laptops uh, to mobile phones and now actually the size within which we we use it's kind of like um we it feels like slowly we're being like uh pulled uh pulled into this in some way which is kind of quite amazing but i think that uh yeah and i think there's there's certain ways of uh spinning it spinning it together uh wait hang on a second i forgot the clever thing again
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. yeah i but it's like do you do you ever watch porn on your phone um Only when I was on a residency And I didn't have my laptop with me See, that's funny Because that's one thing Where it's like This will not do It's like (laughs) Like everything else You get through your phone But it's just like No So that's Maybe it's like Like the The sex drive strikes back (laughs) And then I'm Yeah, I can't wait Until after Corona's done For the return of the hookup Oh my god (laughs) I'm like It's not so much No, I'm like Okay, let's get back to pain Because it's not so much That I am because um, uh, sometimes I have this like <laughs> thing where I become clinically insane because I'm so <laughs> Uh But like, but I think this is just a manifestation of like, uh, like touch deprivation. Mm. But like at the, I'm just finding it so fucking rough at the moment. It's so hard. I like, I just, I just want to be around people, and it's like, you know, I thought when, when I was going through um, a breakup, mm. uh, uh, and my first one. I thought it was interesting because usually I'm used to um, uh, like being relatively good at understanding things quickly. Mm-hmm. Like, um, but uh, understanding complicated things quickly, unless, of course, it comes to an area where I, my brain doesn't work so well, like maths or science. or um, Well, then you quickly but, understand you don't get it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I, quick, I quickly abandon it before anyone could see me being bad at something. Um, but um, with the breakup, it took a very, very long time to understand a very simple thing, which was that the relationship didn't exist anymore. Mm. Um, and um, so it's kind of like this now with going like, this is crap. I hate feeling anxious and lonely and like deprived all the time. This sucks. And it's like, well, yeah. It's been like that for a long time, but I still keep saying, I'm still processing that. It's like, this lockdown sucks. No, not this lockdown, this virus. It just sucks. I, and and the, the, the way in which the society in which I live has responded to it fucking sucks. Yeah, it does suck. But also as well, I think that... I'm not pro, I'm not anti-lockdown. No, 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 no. I'm just anti-lockdown a lockdown that doesn't uh, impact people's working lives rather than just their... Um, uh, no, the but there, yeah, no, but there's com- no there's
0: completely huge problems with this. Which I was talking to my housemate, and uh, basically as well that uh, right now there is a there are mutations of uh, the virus in the UK, uh, and also now in South Africa as well, and, and the, the entirety of Africa is scheduled to get two percent of vaccines that are being. Uh, released, Which is just completely imperialistic uh, bullshit. Like we are still now to this day. And it's very interesting because I think wait, maybe I mentioned it before or maybe I just mentioned it to you in person. But if you look at the old broadband cables, if you look at broadband cables, they follow slave routes, basically the route of slave trading. And so that we can actually see actually in the maps of our contemporary time, we still find... Uh, imperialism occurring so if we look at the distribution of vaccines and we see where they go and there's some some ridiculous idea is what it's so stupid of this idea of like if we by giving out vaccines to certain centers first before other places well then it, this is just so stupid because you think there's there's still this misunderstanding that this is not going to somehow come back basically and that is by refusing mm-hmm. to acknowledge mm-hmm. the equality of all humans and until we actually acknowledge the equality of all humans we're not going to get past this and so I think that there's an amazing thing in uh, Sarah Shulman at the end of Gentrification of the Mind says that the, re- the like the true message of AIDS um, is something that like a small minority of people who were being discriminated against, who didn't, uh, weren't being cared about, could uh, made people with power accountable and they, they changed the course of history and that they saved people's lives because of it. And that that's mm-hmm. something. And that we need to uh, acknowledge these things. And what we can acknowledge is the fact that basically New Zealand... Uh, I'm like I'm pretty sure that New Zealand managed to get down to coronavirus to zero cases of coronavirus before the vaccine came out. Correct me if I'm wrong. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. For most of for most of the pandemic, um, New Zealand has been uh, has had zero local transmission there. It's like also uh, Australia until just recently had quite a good run. Uh, there is like uh, like other countries like Singapore, Vietnam has done a real good job, a really good job. China has been free of uh, local transmission for different periods yeah. so, uh, after pandemic. And the point is, all of these things are being done without the
0: vaccine. So actually, mm-hmm. the process, there is a different There is a different uh, way of practising social engagement that doesn't require the vaccine. Because, of course, the vaccine is a complete it's a complete pipe dream to think that the vaccine is going to solve the problem because, number one, uh, the virus can mutate. Number two, what do we do when the next pandemic comes along? Because at some mm-hmm. point there will be one. There was SARS, there was the bird flu, swine flu, all these things like pandemics and it's also that within a globalised world that we have removed all barriers to trade. We've also removed them for many other things uh, mm. as well, particularly uh, the viral and bacterial world So that uh, which is a, a huge gap in the way that we think about uh, life on this planet. And so... But it's a, it's kind of a bit like, in many ways, I was kind of thinking, like, I really like uh, Tammy T's song, like, Birthday. Uh, and at the beginning, the, uh, I just love the line that says, like, it's not the worst birthday ever, but worse are yet to come. Um, <laughs> it's just like... Oh my god, yes. Yeah, and it's just like, and it's <laughs> like, it's just one of these things that I just, like, I felt pain more recently, more, I feel pain more on a personal level more recently uh, because I used to when I was younger I used to just find pain like quite an optional thing which is I think it's maybe just to do with uh, just being able to disassociate in various ways but also it's one of these things where is this the worst thing that's happened to me? no our worst our, oh, is this the most painful thing that's happened to me? no our painful thing more painful things likely to happen to me in the future? yes so do I need to identify with this uh, particularly too much? no
1: yeah and it's a way of letting it pass yeah, oh, God. I always have this image in my of like when things get tough of myself in in a clamshell, mm. like that, like at the bottom of the ocean. That it's like at a certain point things get tough enough, and then the clamshell closes, and I know that there's like this massive like waves and storm going on above me, and it's just like, oh well, I'm just going to be in here for a while. Yeah, with my and pearls. It, like, yeah, exactly, <laughs> yeah. But like, um, i it, I was going to add there has been offers from uh, companies in the global south um, that are asking for um, if saying if you release the uh, the patent Mm. for this vaccine then we will produce it um, and then can uh, like which means people in the global south can uh, receive the vaccine and also can top up the supplies of Europe so it's like it's a kind of like this is—it's this particular. Um, this is completely uh, like, insane. It's particular con- uh, contradiction of uh, like imperialism and colonialism, is that like it uh, like plunders, expropriates um, like from uh, uh, like from populations in the periphery um, uh, in order to get, uh, like accumulate massive wealth. In the core, like in in old-timey days, Europe, um, and still now in Europe, um, but also the US. Um, A European colony. And and then to keep the local population in the core on side, a relative level of uh, privilege. Uh, yeah. like is provided. So, and this is in Nancy Fraser and Rahel Yeki's book, Capitalism. They talk about the difference between exploitation and expropriation. So expropriation is like taking. So this is like things like slavery, um, but also the like really harsh, um, like because to, to be exploited, you need to be technically in a, like uh, in a liberal sense, free. Mm-hmm. So not enslaved um, and also working in a job. So large populations that are like lumpenized, um Uh, but like in the US like large populations of African Americans who have no access to work and stuff like that um, could also count as expropriated rather than exploited because their labour is not being exploited Mm. and so it's like um, this relative privilege is given to those who are exploited as a result of what is taken from um, those who are expropriated Mm. so this is like the European working class as opposed to uh, like colonised populations um, and their descendants and you see this also with uh, this thing with the vaccines that it's like it would also be better for uh, like the white working class in in uh, Europe and the US and around the world um, like to not be continuing with this like brutal murderous colonial logic um, because it's also not like these companies that have these patents now funded this research by themselves yeah like no. Dolly Parton, Dolly Parton did not help them Dolly Parton should <laughs> and, like, leak the coronavirus and patent. it would be it would be better for people in europe in fortress europe uh if this patent was released it would be better for everyone except for a tiny minority of people who stand to take make a lot of money right so it's like yeah. it's like it's i think this is a very Obisher important because you can like, exactly but there's that thing that it's like the people who are destroying the world have names and addresses yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah but like Yeah, I also, I wanted to bring up this thing about this other essay, but I can't think of a neat segue. But I was thinking about like, because, you know, like... Rough segue coming in. (laughs) Like,
0: wide load. (laughs) I held that space for
1: Um, you, babes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But like, because I think a lot of the things that we've talked about so far were about like, um, like using an experience of pain to try and sort of like learn from that or grow from that, right? Um, And there's, I, I was... And I knew that we would talk about that because that's like a, it's, um, like you know, when life takes a sh- like a shit on your face, like develop a scat fetish, you know? <laughs> 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 like, and I think this is a survival technique that both you and I have used. <laughs> um, but like, uh, the I can't, but, okay, Zoom is like cutting out whatever noise you're making and I'm so glad. <laughs> oh, it was a horrible
0: noise. It was a horrible yeah, noise. Yeah.
1: We don't need to revisit it. I'm sure it will be in the recording. Oh, you're going uh, so to get listen- up, dear listeners will be able to hear it. But there's, there's like, cause, and this is true. Like, it is true that, like, developing a scat fetish when life shits on your face, like, uh, and then working out how to make some sort of joy in that or whatever can work. And, like, that it's true that, like, pain can be a good way of understanding um, uh, like, or developing empathy. But there's this really, really excellent essay uh, by Olufemi Taiwo, um, and it's called Being in the Room Privilege, uh, uh, Being in the Room pri- Privilege, um, Epistemic Deference, and Elite Capture and Epistemic Deference. Um, and he's basically talking about, like, a, a white journalist contacts him he is uh, nigerian american mm-hmm. um and he's uh, he's an academic at uh, like a professor and a white journalist writes to him and says i'm not i don't think that i'm qualified to write this story so um i'm abandoning the pitch but i thought maybe you would be interested because uh, she had this like was about to be commissioned to write it or something like that and he goes into like that situation uses that as the uh spring point for this amazing amazing discussion um uh, or uh, essay and um he talks a lot about how like it's like standpoint epistemology is this idea you talked about epistemology maybe last i episode. did i did yeah. yeah in our dreams episode ways of um, knowing
0: yeah. how you know so, shit
1: yeah, exactly. And so standpoint epistemology is like this idea that having a certain social position means that you have access to a certain kind of knowledge. Yeah. Um, and this is like, you know, in general, good and true. And he says the problem is that like uh, the deference epistemology has taken uh, precedence. And this is the idea that one should always defer to someone that has a standpoint uh, that uh, that uh, like... Uh, that qualifies them for, to... That supposedly has a better... Yeah. Uh, yeah. Supposedly has a better... Um, like grounds upon which to stand to make a certain statement. Yeah. And that that overtakes the quality of the things that are said. And I think we can broadly agree that that, that is a tendency uh, that happens. And the way that he was... Uh, like his his argument on this particular point is really great so he got yeah. like argues instead for a constructive epistemology but i would also just say
0: quickly is that with deferential epistemology what it means is it gives people an excuse not to have to educate themselves on something exactly and so they're not actually engaging in doing the work so and there's no action yeah, yeah and so it's also which also as well sorry did you just say that this this reporter who deferred to to uh, this doctor Uh, did so and that he also felt he wasn't qualified to write?
1: No, no, no. He was... Well, he said, like, because it was... I think it was about African-American poverty. Yeah. And he's like, well, I'm a tenure-track professor. I don't experience African-American poverty. Yeah. And also, um, uh, my parents' uh, are Nigerian... Uh, migrants, which is not the same as being descended yeah. from uh, formerly in, uh, enslaved population. So, so this uh, person didn't do any work to find out who they were even deferring to. It was just this very lazy of like, I don't feel qualified to this. Well, You're automatically
0: like better at this.
1: I think yeah, he has a kinder response to it, which is <coughs> that he said like. Yeah, and I think I, I think ultimately more productive. <laughs> yeah. You're not wrong, but but uh, he basically his response at the end of the essay is that he says um, he wrote wrote back and says why don't we write it together? Okay, um, and so um, that he says it's like it's understandable that I don't think it's like morally deficient um, for people to like default to uh, deference epistemology because like. You know they're like for example there are a lot of queer people who would get up in arms about a straight person writing anything about queer stuff and um, like and those queer people could be right or wrong but we know it's a tendency right so yeah. it's an under it's understandable but that, that people have this like tentativeness right um but then uh he talks uh so i i more than like this is one of the most clarifying and, and great essays that I've read. And it's free, available online. Olufemi Taiwo, um, Being in the Room Privilege. Can we just um, link it in the, the description? A, a, yes. Yes. And, it's in um, the description. The, and he says something also about trauma, that the same politics often talks about uh, trauma and uses pain and suffering as a starting point. I want to quote, uh, uh, quote from it. Um, so he says, um, the deferential approach standpoint epistemology often come pack comes packaged with concern and attention to the importance of lived experience and among these traumatic experiences are especially foregrounded and so then there's a little bit more i'm uh, skipping ahead but uh he says this amazing thing which is i take concerns about trauma especially seriously i grew up in the united states a nation structured by settler colonialism racial slavery and their aftermath with enough, enough collective and historical trauma to go around I also grew up in a Nigerian diasporic uh, community populated by many who had genocide in living memory. At the national and community level, I have seen a lot of traits of norms, personality, quirks of habit and action that I've suspected were downstream of these facts. At the level of individual experience, I've watched and felt myself change in reaction to fearing for my dignity or life or crushing pain and humiliation. I reflect on these traumatic moments often and very seldom think, that was educational. <laughs> and he it says, <laughs> it's a great, it's such a great point. And he says, these experiences can be, if we are very fortunate, building blocks. What comes of them depends on how the blocks are put together. What standpoint epistemologists call the achievement thesis. Um, so uh, Bri- Brianna Toole clarifies that by itself, one social location only puts one in a p- position to know epistemic privilege or advantage is achieved only through deliberate concerted struggle from that position and i just i think that's so beautiful yeah. like because it it really t- ties up like uh something that's like a really big problem i think on the queer left is that like there's a very there's very much foregrounding of trauma mm. um and being careful of each other's traumas which is a bit ironic because you can't really be careful of someone else's traumas. That's how, that's why it's called a trigger (laughs) rather (laughs) like, because it's a small action that lets off a big thing. (laughs) Anyway. And so the, like the, um, like, yeah, this foregrounding of uh, traumatic, uh, like, uh, like um, uh, of trauma in, in like a political response. um, It's like, (laughs) <laughs> it's, it, it, has, it has this idea that actually that we can, that like our traumas make us noble or bold, like noble or like wise through having suffered them. And I just think, I think that's also not always the case. There's, no, there's huge, uh, yeah, there's many things to say about this. First and foremost, which is that there's like,
0: oh, there's one time that, uh, that Ru uh, it's, oh god, on Drag Dragways, so, that like RuPaul is like lecturing like, uh, Nina, uh, uh wait. Nina Benina Brown. Yeah, Nina, Nina Benina Osama Bin Laden Brown. Um, she says that. Like she says that as her name. Uh, Nina uh, Benina uh, Fofana Osama Bin Laden Brown. <laughs> she's that. She's actually, she says that on the show. If you go back and listen to it, there's a, there's a bunch of them. It's really funny. And like, yeah, like she's like, like she's about being like a victim. And then she like. Uh, like cries at a certain point point. there's this thing but it's also sort of like hugely within like so many like fucking boomers now want to complain about oh victims this, victims that da, da, da. everyone's like seeing themselves as a victim however if you look at all of the media that has come about uh, as a result of reality TV there is
1: nothing that is loved more than a survivor story oh my god this is actually the thing that turned me off RuPaul actually like very yeah. early that I was just like this packaging of trauma like having people like collapse to the ground and start sobbing and everyone just like goes like Oh, and it's like that's cannibalism. yeah that's fuck. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. It's also as well, a huge thing about RuPaul's Drag Race. Is like, I think that like season four is really interesting because there's this like Rila- Talks like Trinity of people, and they got like loads and loads. That's of season five. Season whatever. Who cares? Like about these numbers? Be like, you are so right. <laughs> yeah, like fuck that. I'm I'm just saying it's because people might recognise it. and It was a certain moment, and it's like the way that this Talks this Trinity of people, looks like a series of people who were like bullying. Uh, Jinx, which there may have been some truth to and I'm not disputing that, but um, the thing is though is that they were cast and also that then they brought the same set of people back during All Stars and then they were like really criticised for being friends to each other and it's like these people have a history of working together as drag queens outside of Drag Race and they were loyal to their friendship with each other and they got a really, really, really bad rep for doing that and that's actually, that's genuine queer affectivity Uh, that that these people went on and they're like I understand that I'm on a TV show and there's a way I should play this for my PR but I'm absolutely not going to do that because I care about my friends and that was a narrative Mm -hmm. we never once saw uh, effectively done and at the very end it was of one of the seasons it was like very briefly mentioned but it was like um, and yeah this idea of like uh, long term queer relationships being something that were like cherished uh, this is something the show absolutely doesn't do Um, or uh, um and uh but yeah but it's it's like this it's like we uh that like people are like oh why is everyone such a victim now when everything that we've seen on media has been from this like survivor's perspective and people being like oh well this terrible thing happened to me and everyone and this like very like sadistic media circus of people just leering. And then what terrible thing happened? Like, Oh, yeah. like, how could you it's have? Pos- yeah. How could you pop? And, and how did you, how did you survive? Like, how, how did that, how on earth did you, did you take that crucifixion and be like, well, I, like, I was dead for three days, but then <coughs> I was reborn. And I'm like, Oh my God, look, here's my wound. Do you want to finger it? And then everyone's like, Oh, put your fingers in the wood. It's just this very Christian like narrative.
1: And, um, you just like made up some christian fanfic oh my god I mean, jesus <laughs> jesus like uh i saw a really good picture of like
0: uh jesus lifting it up and be like jesus showing off his top surgery yeah,
1: yeah i saw that. I think jesus is a hot bottom
0: yeah yeah yeah, a hot transmasculine bottom yeah oh god but <laughs> i would have give for that now
1: Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. oh
0: i just want to think of the wound
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh my god that's terrible um but um well this your like but i think what what you were getting at which was that um yeah wait i think the thing that you were getting at was uh this idea of like centering trauma as a way of like becoming wise or vo- morally virtuous is not just it's not something that like queers have just done by themselves it's actually the dominant cultural logic yeah um like what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And it's just like, it's just, it's just not the case. Like trauma is just bad. Like it's yeah. just bad. And, and it's not, and it doesn't like, uh, like, and I guess that, that, that narrative also comes from like the martyrdom of the Christian saints and, and Jesus himself and all of this sort of stuff. But trauma is just bad. It makes you broken. Like to, to be traumatized is to be in a state of being broken and yeah. it is good. And uh, like, it is important and good to get out of that state as quickly as possible because it fucking sucks and the only thing that you learn like the only thing that i've learned from being traumatized is how traumatized i can be before i die <laughs> like that's a shit <laughs> thing to learn i didn't need to learn that you
0: know yeah no totally it's also that um the, well, the thing is right is that then it's also that you have experience and then at certain points there's certain things are uh, are traumatizing and then you overcome them and that produces this perception of like emotional like a maturity of uh, some kind or something like that which is this very like it's very very like showbiz as well like like this and this is how Harvey Weinstein managed to like roll on you know and mm-hmm. like be this abusive cunt for so long actually also speaking of abusive cunts Marilyn Manson is a fucking abusive asshole and Love Bailey the uh, queer queer icon in the making uh, just posted a story about how she was like uh, helping uh, a, a certain thing and basically Marilyn Manson took out a gun and put it to her head just for like like lols and that then uh, she was like 20 years old and like working within Hollywood and wanted to make a name for herself. It was just this idea of like, you've just got to deal with this stuff to work in the business. Like this is the, the, the dominant paradigm. that um, you've just got to do it and make it work. And um, and also as well, but uh, speaking of the dominant paradigm, there's this notion from, oh yeah, this is it. So there's the idea that people have experiences and at certain points, there's difficult things and people overcome those difficult moments but then there's when you're queer your experience is constituted as trauma kind of thing because it's also as well that despite the fact that we have this is that there's a lot of discussions and there's emerging discussions now in this pandemic about the generational trauma of the AIDS crisis about the fact that we don't see that um that we don't see uh older like uh older queer people queer sexual uh gender non-conforming people uh, around because they just died of AIDS um mm-hmm. in this sense uh And that there's this thing, or it's like, it's also that when Queen, when your identity is treated as some kind of like trauma in which you have to go through a process of coming out, whereby which you have to work out if you may or may not be accepted. That's not that you have a life and you have some difficult moments and you overcome them and become an emotionally mature person whatever. It's that you are literally forced to live in the swamp and the quagmire of everybody else's repressed bullshit, uh, which is then projected onto you uh, the entire time. And that, um, Sartre made this, uh, I believe it was Sartre or something like that, said that all identity was founded on injury
1: as well. There's, there's, there's something like insult in the making of the gay self. That's Didier Eribon. I think. Insult yeah, I think in the it's, making
0: it's, of the gay self.
1: Yeah. It's like some, something, yes. Yeah, some French gay shit. Basically. Yeah. wee oui, wee oui. <laughs> 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 But yeah, it's like, yeah, that's, I feel like we should go away, read that and then do another episode on, what was it? Insult, yeah. Oh, I didn't see,
0: all I did is stemming from injury. That would definitely will be coming. But I yeah. think it's more to do, a brief way of seeing it is the idea of acknowledging that you yourself are an independent person who is not connected to like the wider world, which arguably is a result of, uh, your uh, our alienation from our
1: species being mm-hmm. under capital accumulation within that yeah. sense the destruction of the commons, the destruction of collective life, yeah, or the capture of the commons, yeah, 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 yeah. And it's also just that, that
0: then there's this sort of kind of like uh, this is like a wounding experience, and that then also as well that like wounding experiences are very powerful markers of the self, and that to sort of something that I did when I, I had to like. go through processing this uh a performance art journey and i went through scotland and uh i like uh, baptized myself uh, with like this triplicate system uh in like uh freezing in like in locks in scottish locks and the important thing to do was go into a body of water and swim out until i couldn't touch the floor anymore because this is something that i find explicitly
1: terrifying it's so terrifying. Yeah, 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 like
0: completely. It's just, it's really, it's like this moment you're in this water, it's like too dark to see the bottom kind of thing and you can't touch it and you're just there. And I think, and I had to go under three times and I had to just go through this process to sort of kind of like create some kind of like, and I did this, I did this to, not because I I wanted to do this necessarily, but because this is, I felt there was some kind of experience in this necessary for me to function within our society and to not have a certain sense of attachments and to undergo this, this, like, experience of being cut off from the world in this, in this very cold water that sort of numbed the senses, that was, also eventually as I got used to it, I, I started really appreciating it as well, like, and I think there is a way to appreciate, um, appreciate our distance. And also
1: there is a positive way of feeling pain, but it's when you're in the gym, and you're like, feel the burn. Well, see, so this is what I mean. It's like pain up to a certain point. It's great. Like, there's, there's lots of things that you can learn from it. People who haven't suffered enough in their lives are fucking unbearable. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. And so, uh, and so, I mean, like, good for them, but please stay the fuck away yeah. from me. Yeah, like, and like, you know, when they win, like the way they wince when you make a particularly dark joke, it's like, oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I'm (laughs) sorry, you had such a comfortable time. Yeah, but there is a certain point, and I think that point is different for different people, at which it's like, no, too much, this, this, this is better without. Yeah, it's also, Um, yeah. And like, and I think that's... um, that's my thoughts on pain. Yeah,
0: I would just say, I think as well, though, it's important to distinguish in the spirit of a, of a book I really want to read, Sarah Schulman's Conflict is Not Abuse. There is a distinction between pain and trauma as well. Just because something is painful in a moment, it is not traumatising. And we have spoken about mm. the pain of trauma, which obviously is these things, but it's sort of like, if pain is like the Bulbasaur, then trauma is like the full-on
1: like Venusaur situation. Like it's the evolved Pokemon. If it takes, but that's the thing. It's like it can it can take uh, one of those gemstones or whatever and become yeah 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 it can go yeah, straight there, yeah. and you never know which one it's going to be. And blah, blah, blah. oh god, but yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. Because I think pain can cause trauma, and then trauma causes more pain. Yeah. Um, but like, um, yeah, it's like everything in moderation. Even pain. Yep. Speaking of which, I am uh, seeking a BDSM dom
0: because I feel the need sexually to be uh, beaten up. If you are interested in
1: uh, applying for this position, please email. Uh, what's the email address? No, put send it to your personal one. I'm not. I'm not sorting those.
0: What? Ass. Oh my god,
1: Olympia! Where's the solidarity? I'm not. I'm not. I'm not your your secretary to find your new BDSM dom. <sighs> what a pain in the ass. <laughs> you can say your email
0: no just like track me down somehow it's called using gloop figure it out I like someone who's if resourceful
1: you have, <laughs> if you have any uh, responses or, or feedback or questions or comments uh, feel free to email us at slurryspeaks at gmail.com I am not I am <laughs> not I am not your BDSM secretary um, uh, using gloop um, and uh, if you have a suggestion for a theme or anything like that feel free to email us um, oh, I we... feel like I'm being domed already <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, we'll be back next week it was a pleasure to discuss pain with you uh, those two things are rather linked now aren't they Oh yeah,
0: I didn't mean that on purpose. Yeah. Uh, da, 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 da. And it's been a wonderful time. It's been a pain. It's been a pain. It's been a very pleasurable pain to talk with you and
1: B. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, see you next week. See you next week. Ciao. Ciao.